This is the third in a series of messages called Navigating Uncertainty. If you missed the first two, let me bring you up to speed. I'm talking about how do we navigate the uncertainty in our times. We have a pandemic, uh, and to, to deal with that, it caused an economic shutdown. Uh, we have social unrest, and all of this in an election year. And if you want to talk about other things, we've had wildfires. Nobody prepared us for this. We are emotionally exhausted. I don't need to tell you this, whether you're a teenager or in your 90s, single or married, a Christ follower or not, you can sense the turbulence in our times. The National Alliance on Mental Illness hotline reports a 65% increase in crisis calls over the last six months. States have reported a marked increase in the number of suicides over the last six months. The suspected culprits, economic distress, social isolation, anxiety over COVID, drug and alcohol abuse, and being cut off from religious services. To help us in this series, we're turning to the prophet Jeremiah. He led in difficult times. And he exemplified four things that are needed to lead in uncertain times. One, provide clarity. People today are crying out for certainty, but no leader can give certainty about what's going to happen in the months ahead. The best we can do is provide the next best thing, clarity. I can't tell you what's going to happen in the months ahead, but I can give you clarity that God is sovereign. He is in control, and He will see us through. Second, present choices. God has endowed human beings with choice. We are responsible for our choices, and our choices matter. Jeremiah presented the people of Judah with a choice. Continue to drift from God and being taken into captivity by the Babylonians or return to God and stay in the land and experience God's blessing. We face a choice today. Turn back to God and we will get through this or drift from God and things will get worse. Three, give hope. Jeremiah gave the people hope that if they returned to God, they could stay in the land and experience God's blessing. The gospel of Jesus Christ and the church of Jesus Christ is the hope of the world. We need to share Christ and invite people to church or to online church with us now more than ever. Four, display humanity. Jeremiah loved the people of Judah so much that he wept for them. He is sometimes referred to as the weeping prophet. We may not know the answers, but we have to show people that we understand the suffering that they're going through. We have to show empathy. People will follow leaders if they sense that they care like Judah, our nation has drifted from God the last 60 years. 
Although we have many strong followers of Christ in our country, the general drift has been away from God. When Jeremiah brought his message of warning from God, the people laughed him off. They thought Jeremiah was a crank and out of touch. When we shared that Jesus Christ is the only hope for the world, people may roll their eyes and think that we're religious nutjobs. How we respond to God will determine if we successfully navigate our uncertain times. If we're going to successfully navigate the turbulent times and help other people through them, and remember, leadership is about influence, and every one of you influences someone. I think we need to learn three things from Jeremiah about how to respond to God. First, stop living in denial. When Jeremiah spoke God's word to the people of Judah, they didn't believe him. During the reign of King Josiah, the Lord said to me, have you seen what faithless Israel has done? This is a reference to the ten tribes of Israel. She has gone up on every high hill and under every spreading tree and has committed adultery there. They would put up altars to all these other gods of other people worshipped around them on these high hills with trees. Next one. I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt, out of the land of slavery. You shall have no other gods before me. Uh, the Judeo-Christian faith was the first faith to claim that there is only one God. Before that time, all people were polytheists. They believed in many gods. If you said you believed in a certain God, they welcomed you with open arms. Who cares if we have another God when we already embrace scores of gods? The Judeo-Christian faith was quite different. In God's first command, He said, I am the Lord your God who brought you out of Egypt. You shall have no other gods before me. He says, I am the only God. There are no other gods. And the people were willing to consent because they had seen him perform so many amazing miracles bringing the people out of Egypt. They said, yes, of course, obviously you're the only God. But then the people moved to the land of Canaan, and had polytheists all around them. When you believe in only one God, you're considered intolerant and narrow-minded. At some point, a desire to fit in becomes strong. The Egyptians were polytheists. The Assyrians were polytheists. The Babylonians were polytheists. The Canaanites were polytheists. So the people of Judah thought that in order to be a little more accepted, it wouldn't hurt to uh, have an idol and put it up on a high hill and worship what some of the other people around them were worshiping. I thought that after she had done all this, she would return to me, but she did not. 
and her unfaithful sister Judah saw it. Judah refers to the two southern tribes of Israel. They saw what the ten tribes, uh, northern tribes of Israel were doing, and they began to worship false gods as well. I gave faithless Israel her certificate of divorce and sent her away because of all her adulteries. Because the ten tribes of Israel were so unfaithful to God and worshiping false gods, God allowed them to be taken into captivity by the Assyrians in 722 B.C. Yet I saw her unfaithful sister Judah had no fear. She also went out and committed adultery. Uh, the people of Judah also wanted to fit in, so they began to worship other gods as well, even though they were false gods. The Lord said to me, faithless Israel is more righteous than unfaithful Judah. If you can believe it, God said the people of Judah are worse than the people of Israel. Jeremiah confronted the people of Judah and told them that Babylon would come to destroy them. I am bringing a distant nation, that's Babylon, against you, an ancient and enduring nation, a people whose language you do not know, whose speech you do not understand. Their quivers are like an open grave. All of them are mighty warriors. They will devour your harvests and food, devour your sons and daughters. They will devour your flocks and herds, devour your vines and fig trees. With the sword, they will destroy the fortified cities in which you trust." The people of Judah laughed at him. They have lied about the Lord, they said. He will do nothing. No harm will come to us. We will never see sword or famine. They said, we're God's people. Nothing as bad is going to happen to us. Jeremiah goes on. From the least to the greatest, all are greedy for gain. Prophets and priests alike, you could add kings, all practice deceit. They dress the wound of my people as though it were not serious. Peace, peace, they say, when there is no peace. They said, God will never punish us. The people of Judah were living in denial. It's easy for us to live in denial too. We think that since we're Christians and we have forgiveness, we can act any way we want, and we'll be forgiven. In one sense, that's true. Jesus died on the cross for all sins of all time, so if you sin, no matter how big your sin, you can go to Christ and ask Him to forgive your sins. But it's what we call a half-truth. It's also true that if you ignore God's commands, and you live in disobedience. You can ask Christ to forgive you, but you can't avoid the consequences that will come. God will allow the consequences to catch up to you, and you'll lose God's blessing on your life and on your family. We can think the same way about our country. We can think that since our country was founded on Christian principles, belief in God, belief that all people are created equal because all people are created in God's image, and that God has given us all unalienable rights 
the right to life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. And since God has blessed our nation immeasurably, that our country will always be great. That's living in denial. To continue to receive God's blessing, we have to turn to God and continue to follow our founding ideals. When we abandon our founding ideals, our nation will cease to be great. I feel like God has given us all kinds of warnings recently about the dangers of drifting from Him individually and as a country. How we respond to God will determine if we successfully navigate our uncertain times. The second thing we learn from Jeremiah about how to respond to God is acknowledge our sin. King Manasseh ruled over Judah from 697 to 642 B.C. He was the worst king in the history of Judah. He led the people over a cliff morally and spiritually. He led them into a prostitution. Uh, He brought that in to be part of the worship services and into offering their sons and daughters in sacrifice on the fire to the god Moloch. If you think things are bad in our times, they were worse in Judah. God tells Jeremiah, they have built the high places of Topheth in the valley of Ben-Hinnom, that's right outside Jerusalem, to burn their sons and daughters in the fire, something I did not command. So Jeremiah spoke to the people of Judah. This is what the Lord says to the people of Judah and to Jerusalem. Break up your unplowed ground and do not sow among thorns. Circumcise yourself to the Lord. Circumcise your hearts, you people of Judah and inhabitants of Jerusalem, or my wrath will flare up and burn like fire because of the evil you've done. Burn with no one to quench it. So put on sackcloth, lament and wail, for the fierce anger of the Lord has not turned away from us. God told them to acknowledge their sins, but they did not. My people are fools. They do not know me. They are senseless children. They have no understanding. They are skilled in doing evil. They know not how to do good. They refused to repent. Lord, do not your eyes look for the truth? You struck them, but they felt no pain. You crushed them, but they refused correction. They made their faces harder than stone and refused to repent. God continues to send us warnings today. He sends us wake-up calls in our personal lives to urge us to return to Him. If we ask His forgiveness, repent of our sins and turn back to following Him, we are better able to navigate our uncertain times. He also sends us warnings as a nation. He reminds us that if we want to be a great country, we must cling to our founding ideals. The Declaration of Independence states that all men are created equal, that they are endowed by their Creator with certain unalienable rights, that among these are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. So look at some of our founding ideals. All men are created equal. 
The reason we're all equal is because we were all made in God's image. When I think of someone I don't like, because they represent a position very different from me ideologically, it helps me to remember that they are created equal with me. They are loved by God just as much as me. We believe in God. We're not naturalists, that this world is all there is. This world came into being by a creator. We believe in a moral code based on God's holy character. Our Constitution was written with the assumption that individual citizens would live virtuous lives. John Adams, one of the signers of our Constitution, wrote, our Constitution was made only for a moral people. It is wholly inadequate to the government of any other. With a decline in faith, belief in Jesus, church attendance, self-regulated virtuous behavior, our system breaks down. We can't have a police officer at every street corner. We depend on people choosing to live virtuous lives. We believe in God-given rights that preceded government. Our rights come from God. They're not given to us by government. These rights are life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness. Our rights include freedom of religion. Our rights include freedom of speech. This has been curtailed in recent years. Freedom of speech is squelched on most university campuses. Freedom of speech is limited to one view, mostly, on social media, and we are losing freedom of speech in our workplaces. 77% of Republicans, 59% of Independents, and 52% of Democrats say they are afraid to share their political opinions. If we think we still have free speech, we're living in denial. How we respond to God will determine if we successfully navigate uncertain times. Jeremiah suggests three ways we need to respond to God. Stop living in denial, acknowledge our sin, and three, return to trusting God. Jeremiah said, this is what the Lord, the Almighty, the God of Israel says, reform your ways and your actions and I will let you live in this place. But I gave them this command, obey me and I will be your God and you will be my people. Walk in obedience to all I command you that it may go well with you. Many things are not going well in our country. Some of the things are beyond our control, but we can each do our part by putting our trust in Christ and living in obedience to God. Jeremiah asks, is there no bomb in Gilead? Gilead was from the tribe of Benjamin, one of the two tribes of Judah. Is there no physician there? Why then is there no healing for the wound of my people? Jeremiah said, can there be no healing for our country? 
the healing Jeremiah suggests can be found in God alone. The way to navigate our uncertain times is to trust that God is sovereign and that He loves us. He's in control and He will get us through. Maybe in the midst of COVID, our economic shutdown, the social unrest, the wildfires or some personal problems you're facing, you've cried out to God, but nothing seems to change. Jeremiah faced the same problem. At times, Jeremiah complained to God, God, I I do this speaking, but nobody's listening. Let's jump ahead. If you have your Bible, turn to Jeremiah 12, verse 5. This is one of the answers God gave Jeremiah. This is one of the answers God gave for why Jeremiah faced so many struggles. If you have raced with men on foot and they have worn you out, how can you compete with horses? If you stumble in safe country, how will you manage in the thickets by the Jordan? That was his answer. The answer God gives to Jeremiah has to be one of the greatest letdowns of all time. He says, Jeremiah, if you think you have it bad now, it's going to get worse. You've been running against the footmen, and they have you worn out. Jeremiah, you haven't seen anything yet. You're going to run against horses. That's his answer. It's a letdown. Maybe you feel like it's a letdown. You expected something stronger. God says to Jeremiah, you will stay in the middle of this. I'm not going to remove you from the struggles you're facing. God's strategy against problems is for you to trust Him. We want God to strike down our enemies and take away our problems. When John the Baptist came, this is what he said about the Messiah. The axe is already at the root of the trees, and every tree that does not produce good fruit will be cut down and thrown into the fire. I baptize you with water, but he will baptize you with fire. His winnowing fork is in his hand, and he will clear his threshing floor, gathering the wheat into his barn and burning up the chaff with un quenchable fire. He expected the Messiah to destroy the Romans and set up his kingdom. So you can see why some people like Judas were disappointed with Christ. Jesus does something nobody expects. No one is ready for what Jesus does. No one dreamed Jesus would conquer evil by absorbing it. No one dreamed that he would take all the evil on himself, on the cross. Now he invites us to enter into a relationship of putting our trust in him. Back to Jeremiah. Return, faithless people, declares the Lord, for I am your husband. He wants us to trust him like a wife in a husband. How gladly 
Would I treat you like my children and give you a pleasant land, the most beautiful inheritance of any nation? I thought you would call me father and not turn away from following me. He invites us to trust him like a child in a father. God's strategy for overcoming evil in the world is not to remove the problem. He does not promise to take away the pressure Jeremiah is facing. But he promises Jeremiah that he will be with him. He says, Jeremiah, you will continue to live in the jungle of the Jordan. And so will I. I will be with you. That's how I'm going to conquer evil. This is the same solution we find in the New Testament. Jesus Christ is in the middle of the problem. He comes and takes all the power and ugliness of sin on himself on the cross and overcomes it. It's still Christ's strategy today. He does not remove you from the problems you face at home, work, school, or in our country. He leaves you in the middle of it. You are his strategy for overcoming evil in the world. And he promises to be with you. Farmers in the Midwest sometimes tie a rope from the back door of their house when they're going out when blizzard conditions can be coming. And they tie it to the barn door. So they can find their way back. They realize that blizzard conditions can come up so quickly and be so fierce the farmers can't even see the end of their hand on their arm. Some farmers have tried to find their way back from the barn in fierce, snowy conditions that are so bad that they wander around in a daze. Some have frozen to death just a few feet from their house, not realizing how close they are to safety. Meteorologists in Canada and the Great Plains suggest that you tie a rope to the back door of your house and you grab on the other end of it and don't let go so you can find your way back. In the midst of uncertain times, we must stop living in denial, acknowledge our sin, and return to trust in God. We trust in Christ. Hold on to Him like a rope. If you've never put your trust in Christ, you can do so right now as we pray. Would you pray with me? Father, thank You for Your Word that is true, always the words you gave to Jeremiah. He lived in terrible times, as turbulent as ours. And he told the people, stop living in denial, acknowledge your sin, and return to trusting in me. And we want to do that right now. I invite you to pray to God right now, just for a minute. Tell him you want to trust in him in the midst of what we're going through, in the midst of what you're facing in your life. And if you've never committed your life to Christ, tell him you believe he died and on the cross and rose again. You want him to forgive your sins and come in. You pray right now.
thank you, Father, that you are sovereign, you are in control, and you love us. And we can put our trust in you in the midst of all that we're going through. And we do that in Jesus' name.